There's a man from Iraq named Nimrut who loved to read, but books weren't easy to come by in the town where Nimrut lived. Uh, so one day he came across a book that he wasn't familiar with and someone let him borrow it. And it was, it was different than everything else that he had read. He couldn't put it down. In fact, he stayed up that night reading till 4 a.m. And the book that he was reading was a copy of the Gospel of Luke. Now Nimrut had never really heard of the Gospels before, but he sure loved this Jesus guy that it was talking about. He finished the Gospel of Luke. He returned it to that person that let him borrow it. And because Nimrut was a Muslim living in an Islamic country, Bibles aren't easy to come by. So he didn't see another Bible for five years. And during those years, he tried to be a dedicated Muslim. He read the Quran, but he couldn't get past the, the hatred and the killing that's promoted in the Quran. He had a hard time with that. And then one day, years after reading the Gospel of Luke, he came across a copy of the entire New Testament. He just ate it up. He, he was so thrilled with it, and he couldn't help but notice how different the Bible and the Quran are. He couldn't help but notice the love of God that is so evident in the Bible. He read the entire New Testament in a month. He took notes while he was reading it. After that, he started to read the New Testament at least once a year. And through the reading of God's Word, Nemrut became a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. And he became so in love with the Lord and so passionate to see other people believe in Jesus that he decided he needed to get the Bible in the hands of other unbelievers. Eventually, he turned his attention to Iran and he started smuggling Bibles into that country. He's pretty good at it, too. He smuggled over 300,000 copies of the Bible into Iran before the Iranian government shut down his operation. And when he did that, a whole lot of lives were changed as a result. And church, I want you to think to yourself for just a moment, is it any wonder why godless countries restrict and ban access to the Bible? Is it any wonder? It's not just Iran that does that. A former North Korean border guard said that the most dangerous item to try and smuggle into North Korea is a Bible. In fact, he said somebody who's caught smuggling a Bible faces a more severe punishment there than a murderer. Of course, godless places like those countries hate and fear the Bible. They know that it has the power to transform and change lives. Lives like Nimrud's. Lives like many of ours as well. As Christians, we know all about the greatness of God's Word, don't we? After all, the Bible contains the truth about salvation. In the Bible, we find the good news that through faith in Jesus Christ, His death on the cross for our sins, His burial, and powerful resurrection from the dead, through faith in Him, we receive the forgiveness of our sins, the salvation of our soul, pardon from the penalty of hell, and eternal life. We know that God's Word is great don't we? But we also need to remember the Bible has more than just the good news of salvation in its pages. It also has the truth that we need to live a life that honors God. And so this morning we're going to continue our series in the book of Psalms by turning to Psalm 119 in order for us to continue considering the greatness of God's Word for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. Psalm 119, I'd encourage you to turn there. If you have a Bible with you. If you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 495. Page 400. 
and 95. Psalm 119. I'll just share with you a couple details about this psalm as you turn there. This is the longest psalm. It's actually the longest chapter in the entire Bible. It has 176 verses, depending on your English translation, over 2,400 words. Uh, you'll also notice, if you're following along in a Bible, you'll notice that the beginning of each section that we're going to read and that's in that psalm, there's a single word above each section. And these words reference a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. All right, the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. If you go through and count, you'll find that Psalm 119 has 22 sections. You see, the psalmist wrote this as an acrostic. And each section of the psalm has eight lines. And the first word in each of those lines begins with a particular letter of the Hebrew alphabet that's written above it. I share all that just because I love the beauty of God's Word. And we can't be certain who wrote this psalm, but we can be certain that he knew the greatness of God's Word. So let's look at a few sections together. Let's begin in verse 1. It says this. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do no wrong but follow His ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Let's stop right here in Psalm 119. So once again, we see that word blessed, just like we saw in the Psalms the last couple of weeks. If you want to know how to live a blessed and truly happy and content life in the Lord, believer, then you need to live your life God's way. He walk according to His laws. But, but before we can get to God's commands, before we can consider His righteous law, we're told that those who walk this way, that those who are blessed, are the ones who seek Him with all their hearts. And that's where we need to start, believers. We need to start with seeking God with all our heart. And one of the chief ways we seek God is we seek Him through His Word, through the Bible. Now, I know that some will say, well, Andrew, don't, well, don't we seek God through prayer? We seek God through worship, through service, through obedience? And absolutely we do. But how do we know what prayer and obedience and worship and service should look like in our lives. Well, the Bible tells us. Take prayer, for example. How do we know what prayer should look like? Well, the Scripture tells us. The Bible says that as Christians, we need to pray continually. Then we need to pray without giving up. We're to pray in faith for that which is according to God's will. The Bible tells us who to pray for. We're to pray for our enemies. We're to pray for government officials. We pray for our fellow believers. We pray for all people. That's what the Bible tells us. And the same is true for what our worship, our obedience, and our service should look like. The Bible instructs us in all of these things. But you see, the Bible isn't just there to tell us how to do things. The Bible also tells us who we are doing these things for. One of the great things about God's Word is that through it, we can know God more. We can know who He is. And church, part of seeking God with all our heart is desiring to get to know God more. And I want you to think about that, that. 
God, the God of all creation, the God of our salvation, has made himself known to us through his word. In the Bible, we can see very clearly as we read it the perfect character of God. We see his overwhelming love. We see the immensity of his patience, the greatness of his grace and mercy, the purity of his judgment, and on and on the list goes. If you want to know who God is, then you need to seek him out in his word. And I promise you that the more you go to the Bible with a heart to know God, the greater your worship, the greater your prayers, the greater your obedience and service to him will be. Because you won't be doing those things to just check off a list. No, you'll do that out of a love for him. And if we want to grow in our love for God, we need to get to know God. And that happens when we read his word. And if that's true, the question is, why are so few people reading God's word? The American Bible Society had a report this year on the state of the Bible in America. I want to share with you what they found. First, you need to understand that they define a Bible user as someone who reads or listens to or prays with the Bible on their own at least three or four times per year outside of church. So anyone who uses a Bible outside of church three to four times a year, they define as a Bible user. And only 39% of Americans fit that description. And then when they looked at, okay, who, who's a, who uses the Bible at least once a week, it dropped to 24%. I bring this up because, look, it's no wonder why we live in an increasingly godless and ungodly society. Our society, they don't know who God is. Now, of course, some of us will say, well, that's just a survey of the country, which is true. So what about Christians in America? Well, Lifeway did a survey this year, and this is what they discovered about Protestant churchgoers, such as ourselves. They found that among Protestant churchgoers like us, 65% said that they intentionally spend time with God every day, which means that only two out of every three Christians actually takes time to be with God on a daily basis. Now, of the ones who do that, of the ones who do spend time with God, less than 40% of them said that includes reading the Bible. It's really no wonder why so many professing Christians in our country are compromising doctrine and giving up on the church and blending in with the world. They don't know the one they're supposed to be living for. And don't misunderstand me, there are many great ways for us to spend time with God, but we need to make sure that seeking Him and His Word, that is one of those ways that we are spending time with the Lord. I mean, through that, we're going to grow to know Him so much more. We should desire to read the Bible every single day. This week I read the testimony of a young lady in North Africa. Her name is Islam. And Islam gave her life to Jesus, and I thought, there's a powerful part of her testimony worth sharing, which is that she has to keep her faith a secret due to fear of persecution, including persecution from her own father. And that means that she can't openly read her Bible in her home the way that so many of us can. But despite that, she wants to read the Bible so much. She compared reading the Bible to being like eating. She said that it was it's necessary in her life. She just needs it. She wanted it more and more. So she found ways to read the Bible. And I read her story and I thought to myself, if only more Christians in a country filled with Bibles and the freedom to read it 
saw God's word that way too. God's word is great because in it we get to know who our great God is. The very one that we're living for. And the more that you learn about God, you'll notice your faith start to grow. You'll find that your prayers are becoming more vibrant because you're not praying to some distant being. Ah, you're praying to your loving Heavenly Father. Well, you'll find that serving God isn't a chore. It's something you do out of a, a grateful heart. But you'll find that your worship isn't for Sundays only. No, it's something that you want to do every single day. You want to worship God. But you'll find that following His commands aren't a burden. No, there's something that you joyfully do because you love Him. And the more you read His Word, you will fall more in love with God. Keep in mind, church, that Jesus said the greatest of all the commands is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, as long as we're doing that out of a love for Him, we'll naturally follow His other commands. So we need to get to know God more. Speaking of God's commands, the psalmist went on. Look at verse 9. He said this. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Now, the Bible doesn't just help us to know God more, but it helps us know God's commands. A lot of us know that, but how... How do we live a life of purity? We do that by living God's way, by living according to his word. I want you to think about this. How is it that we know which things in life are morally right and wrong? How do we know moral right and wrong? You see, there are a lot of people who tell you that society determines what is morally right and morally wrong. Is that true, though? The Korowai tribe in New Guinea are still believed today to practice cannibalism. In their culture, it's a necessary thing to rid the witches from their midst. Well, if society determines what's right and wrong, who are we to judge them? But we do judge them for that, don't we? That's a wrong thing. They shouldn't do that. What about in our own society, where an increasing number of people are promoting that public drug use and rioting and looting, that these are acceptable things? Do we really think society should determine what is morally right and wrong. So some people will say, well, it's not society. It's government that tells us moral right and wrongs. Brave souls who believe that the government should determine moral right and wrong. In 2013, the North Korean government forced thousands of people to watch the public execution of 80 individuals. And why were those 80 individuals executed? Well, for some of them, it was because they owned a Bible. For others, it was because they did things like watching videos from foreign countries. Do we really think that human governments are capable of determining moral right and wrongs? And some people say, well, morality, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's relative, subjective. It's just determined by each individual person. Well, look, there are plenty of murderers who will tell you that what they did was right. It's fine. It was okay. We would disagree. Why? Because we know that some things are just objectively right and wrong. 
But the question is, how do we know that? There must be some unchanging objective standard or basis for morality. And as Christians, we know that the standard is God. That our unchanging God, who is entirely righteous and holy, He's the one who's told us what is objectively right and wrong. And because He doesn't change, that means that His moral commands don't change. And where do we learn those commands? We learn about them in the Bible. And that's where we find God's righteous laws, His commands that point us to pure living. But because we live in this morally depraved world that, that, is, that is very subjective about morality, this world where people are living in sin and selfishness, they're starting to say that more of these evil deeds are acceptable in their eyes. We face this temptation to fall into the same types of sins. We start to hear those lies that this sin's not a big deal. Everybody does it. Nobody gets hurt. It feels good. And after a while, those lies that we hear, they start to sink in. Believers, how are we supposed to stay pure? By staying in God's Word. That's how. See, when we follow God's Word, we won't, we won't stray from that blessed path of righteousness. We won't want to if we're staying true to His Word. But even in our country where God's Word is easily accessible on our phones, on our computers, and the printed copies that we have, the truth is there are times where the Bible won't be with us. So like the psalmist, if we want to stay pure, we need to hide God's Word in our hearts. Believers, we should memorize verses of Scripture. We should make that a priority in our lives. If you're not doing that, I want to encourage you to memorize Scripture. A good place to start is that as you read God's Word every single day, when you come across a verse that you know would be a help to you, when you face a temptation, a trial, different tribulation, write that verse on a note card. Carry it with you in your pocket, your purse, your wallet. Every time you touch the card, pick it up and look at it. Read it out loud to yourself. Soon you'll find that you don't even need to look at the card. You'll have memorized those words. And as you meditate on it, that truth is going to sink deeply into your heart. Listen to how else the psalmist describes Scripture. This is in verse 105. He said this. He said, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. There's a lot of spiritual darkness in this world, believer. The Bible tells us that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The Bible tells us that as churches we need to be on guard because vicious wolves will come in trying to deceive the believers with false doctrine. That's something that certainly happens today. As we saw a couple weeks ago in Psalm 1, we know that the wicked in this world are going to try and convince us to join with them in their evil deeds. There is a lot of spiritual darkness all around us. But we don't need to fear these things, believers. We need to be aware of them. And we need to understand that when we're faithful to pour over God's Word, that path of righteousness is going to be made very clear to us. I say that because, sadly, some Christians try and go it alone through this life. They try and walk without the light of Scripture to guide them. And because of that, they stumble and fall many times. Many years ago, back when explorers were first trying to map uh, caves and underground tunnels and caverns. They tried to do that using really simple instruments like wax candles. Well, if you've ever lit a wax candle, you know that it doesn't really give off that much light. If you're in a really dark room, it gives off a little bit. You're not going to see everything. 
And there's this story that long ago there was an Australian explorer named Joseph Nagel, and he was having trouble getting a light in this cavern that he wanted to, to map. So he decided to get creative, and he tied some candles to the feet of a couple of geese, and he lit the candles, and then he was throwing some pebbles at them and stuff, trying to get them to fly around. And there were some really stubborn geese. They just hobbled around instead. They didn't do anything for them. You see, until that cavern was properly lit, he couldn't see what he needed to see. He was relying on very poor sources of light in his situation. And there are some Christians who are relying on society or personal opinion or governments and many other poor sources of light to guide them in how they ought to live. Believer, God's word is the light of truth. It's the lamp that we need to stay on that pure path as we follow our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Many things are going to cry and distract us, get us to stumble from that path. But as long as God's word remains our constant daily meditation, we'll know the way that we need to go, even as we walk through this spiritually dark world. It's not only that. I want us to look at one more section in this song. Go ahead and look at verse 97. The psalmist continues his prayer and he says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I've kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I've not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. And believers, there will be a lot of wrong paths that we can take in this life. But the psalmist says that through God's commands, and through God's word, he's, he's wiser than his enemies. He's more understanding and insight than his teachers and than the elders. You see, the Bible doesn't just help us know God more. The Bible doesn't just help us know God's commands, but it's through the Bible that we can also know what godly wisdom is in our situations. You see, we don't just need wisdom to address temptation and sin in our life, although we do, but there are going to be those times where we find ourselves in situations where we're facing something that's not necessarily a moral decision, but it's a difficult one. We start to think to ourselves, I don't know what I should do right now. What do I do about this big decision that I'm facing? And in those moments, believers, where, where do we look for wisdom? Where do we look for guidance? A few years ago, Americans were asked where they turn to when they make an important decision in their life. And most people said they did their own research. The vast majority said, oh, I do my own research. But what's that mean? I mean, everybody researches differently. And the majority of them, 46% of the people who said that, said that when they need to make a big decision, they look to the internet. So they hop on Google to figure out what to do. 25% of the people said they look to uh, other individuals for advice, like their friends. 8% said they look to books and magazines. And then way towards the bottom, about 4% of people said that they look to faith or religion. Like one lady who said that she prays and reads her Bible and she's going to make a big decision. A lot of other people said that they just rely on their instincts, YouTube videos, and uh, good old gut feelings. And look, the truth is there are a lot of places that we can look 
for advice, believers. There are good places that we can look for advice. It is good to seek wise and godly counsel. In fact, the Bible tells us that in the book of Proverbs. It is good, and we should, go to God in prayer for wisdom. The Bible tells us that in the book of James. But that's the thing. The Bible tells us where we can find instruction to make us wise. In Scripture, we will find the godly wisdom that we need for the situations that we face. For thousands of years, a lot of military commanders have looked to this book titled The Art of War for Wisdom in Warfare. Some of you have probably heard of The Art of War. It was written over 2,000 years ago, supposedly by an individual named Sun Tzu, and it contains uh, advice, strategy for, uh, for military plans, for engaging the enemy, for diplomacy, and things like that. And it's said that this, this book was admired by a lot of military leaders. Some names that we would know, like Napoleon, admired the art of war. That leaders from countries in Asia, leaders in France, leaders in America, have admired this book. And it also contains some wise sayings. Things like, he will win who knows when to fight and when not to fight. That's good advice. Uh, know the enemy and know yourself. Anyways, the point is, if you are engaged in the trenches of conflict, the art of war is considered a must-have book. And church, if you're engaged in the ups and downs of this life, situations where you're not sure what to do, which is true for all of us, we're all going to go through that, the Bible is where we need to turn. We need to pour ourselves into it until we can join with the psalmist in saying that the word of God is sweeter than honey in our mouths because we gain understanding from God's precepts. There is nothing quite like the Word of God, believer. And don't misunderstand me. You should pray. You should serve God. You should worship Him. But don't neglect His Word, which will increase your joy and your understanding in all of these other things as well. Church, we live in a country and in a time where the Bible is highly accessible. It is the best-selling book in history. So much so, they don't even know how many copies of the Bible have been sold. They estimate that it's somewhere between 5 or 7 billion copies of Scripture that have been sold. And I have a feeling most of us, we probably have several copies in our homes. So with all this free access to God's Word, the question is, are we accessing it every single day? When we read God's Word, we're going to learn more about who He is. And I promise that as you do, you will fall deeply in love with Him. You'll fall deeply in love with the God who created you and saved you and the God who has a purpose for you. And when you love Him, you'll, you'll want to follow His commands in the Bible. As you pour into His Word, you'll start to live a godly life and you'll start to live with that godly wisdom that's going to aid you in your situations. Here's the truth this morning, church. When God's word becomes a treasure to us, we will see how his word changes us. There's a difference between just reading it three to four times a year and actually treasuring God's word. And when God's word becomes a treasure to us, like it was to the psalmist, that's where we're going to see how his word changes us. We're going to see how, how seeking God and his word leads us living holy and righteous lives how we're going to be more prepared for the trials of this life, how we're going to be more dedicated to Jesus Christ. So church, let's read the Word of God every single day. I know that some of you are doing that. 
If you are, I'd encourage you, if you're not right now, to begin memorizing Scripture in God's Word. Memorize verses as you read through it. If you'd like some resources for that, I'd recommend that you go to The Navigators. It's an organization that has great resources on memorizing Scripture. But maybe you're here and you're just not reading God's Word every day yet. And if that's true for you, I want you to know that we have resources here for you. Before you leave, on your right-hand side in the foyer as you exit, there are some devotional books. Pick one up and take it with you. We still have some of the Bible reading plans that we put out there a couple months ago. Pick one of those up. Start reading the Bible every day. Find another believer here and ask if they'll do a Bible study with you and meet you once a week. Someone that can keep you accountable to reading God's Word every single day. Then join a Sunday school class or a small group. If you want information about those, come and find me. And that's because those groups do more than just once-a-day study. Many of the books that they go through and the curriculum they have includes daily Scripture readings that you can do so that you have that structure that you might like to have. There are a lot of ways that we can meet with the Lord. There are a lot of ways that we can worship Him. But let's make sure that part of the way that we seek God out with all our heart is that each and every day we are reading God's Word. And let's encourage each other to do that, church. But maybe you're here and... Well, God's Word doesn't really mean a lot to you because if you're honest, Jesus isn't your Savior. You've never given your life to Him. You're kind of interested about God, but you don't really know who He is. And friend, if that's true for you, I want you to know that the Bible has some great truth for you, the very truth that Nemrut found and that many of us in this room have found, and that is the truth that God loves you deeply. He loves you more than you know, more than any of us could ever fathom. But the truth in the Bible is that all of us have sinned. That's why society and human governments, we can't can't determine morality because we have fickle, sinful hearts. And the problem, the Bible tells us, is that our sin is separating us from God. We're going to be separated forever from God because of our sin. We're going to be separated forever after this life in a place called hell. That's the bad news, the Bible tells us. But the Bible also has the greatest news of all time in its pages, which is that in His great love for you, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. All those wicked things that we've done. He took the penalty. He took the punishment. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He powerfully rose from the dead. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, He'll forgive you of all your sins. He'll pardon you from that penalty of hell and He'll give you eternal life. The guarantee that after this life you'll be forever with Him. And if you've never made that decision, that decision that changed Nemrut's life and the lives of many of us here, we want you to be able to make that decision before you leave today. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Friend, if that's true for you, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to know that you don't have to leave the way that you came here. You don't have to leave separated from God. I want you to understand that Jesus has been waiting your whole life to save you bring you into his family, to guide you through this life, to walk with you for all eternity after this life. But friend, the question is, are you going to give your life to Jesus Christ? Are you willing to recognize that you are a sinner? Are you willing to admit your sin and put your faith in Jesus as your Savior and give your life over to him? If so, friend, you can, you can come and talk to me during this final song that we're going to sing. You bring your questions. We can talk and pray together. But if you're ready to give your life to Jesus right now, you can follow me in a simple prayer like this. And friend, if you pray this by faith, I promise you on the authority of God's word, Jesus will save you. 
and forgive you of all your sins. You can pray, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken your commands. I know that I've done bad things in my life. And I know that my sin is separating me from you. But Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And that you didn't stay in the grave. But that you rose from the dead. And Jesus, today I am asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to save me from that penalty of hell. Jesus, today I'm giving you my life. And friend, if you prayed that, I hope that you'll share it with someone before you leave. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have given our lives to Jesus, help us to understand the importance of seeking you every single day in your word, of picking up scripture every day and meditating on it, so that we can learn more about who you are, the the immensity of your love, just how great your grace and mercy are, how patient you are with us. Because the more that we see your great character, the more we see who you are, the more deeply in love with you we will fall. And then we'll be eager to obey your commands and to worship you and to serve you and to be with your people on Sunday and all throughout the week. So teach us to seek you in your word. Give us joy when we do that. Teach us as a church how we can lovingly encourage one another to read our Bibles each and every day so that we would be a mature body of Christians living for Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel and sharing the truth of your word with others. So Father, I pray that now as we go into our final invitation song that you would help each of us to examine our hearts. What priority are we putting on the Bible in our lives? Maybe for some of us, We need to examine those hearts before you in prayer. Maybe there's some things we need to confess, how we've ignored your word, we've ignored your commands. However it is that we need to respond, I pray your spirit would make very clear to us. And if there are anyone here, Father, if there's anyone here who still has not made that decision to give their life to Jesus, I pray that they would come and talk with me or someone in the back as we sing and as we praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.